Need a new set of optics? For more than a decade, Riton Optics has been providing optic solutions for hunters and shooters of all types and disciplines. Check out their Primal line for those products geared more towards us hunters. From binoculars and spotting scopes to your basic 3-9 to nine scopes and longer range crossover models, the Primal line from Riton was made for hunters. Learn more at RitonOptics.com. That's Riton, R-I-T-O-N, Optics.com. Howdy, and welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts. Today is July 23rd, 2019. I am your host, Eric Clark, and you're back for another great episode of the Where to Hunt podcast. What up, everybody? I had a great time talking with Josh Prophet. He is a super, super chill dude with the right mindset and certainly is a public land hunting enthusiast who shares my sentiment. Um, talks maybe not as fast as me, but we really connected on the level of, you know, appreciate the journey, respect the journey, and enjoy the hunt. Remember why you got into it and have fun. So a really, really fun episode with some great advice. Before we get into the show, I got to take a moment and thank our title sponsor, Backwoods Grind Coffee, that provides energy to produce this show. You know, I wouldn't be doing this stuff if it wasn't for their coffee. Well, I guess I would be because I've been doing it for a while, but they've certainly made it a lot easier in the last year that they've been around, and that's the only coffee that I drink. The only difference is I do add brain octane um, bulletproof oil to it, so I, I just kind of like that. I don't always do it, but I usually do. And I did it for tonight's show, and it was delicious. You know, I, I had called out on the live video of the show that, uh, you know, their coffee is the original pre-workout, which is something that those guys like to say. And I think back to when I was in college, and I would drink a full pot of coffee to do my homework because I needed to take and channel that energy and focus it on doing an assignment. And you know, that mindset hasn't really changed. The coffee's just gotten a lot better. Back then, I couldn't afford good coffee. And so if you maybe can't afford good coffee and you want to try what good coffee tastes like, the kind of coffee you used to drink with your grandpa, um, this is definitely the coffee worth a shot. And if you enter in the code W, the number two, the word hunt podcast at backwoodsgrind.com, you're going to get yourself 10% off of their coffee. So this is for the, the people that work hard day in and day out, whether you're in a hot sun, you know, working on the, the roads or in construction or on radon systems or in plumbing or in heating and cooling, or if you're doing the nine to five desk job and need some serious focus to get shit done, this is the coffee for you. It doesn't matter if you're from California or Maine or Florida or Alaska, Mississippi to Michigan or Wisconsin. What's up, Wisconsin? Um, this is your coffee. This is a great coffee and the discount code will help you save some money so you can, so you can try it out. So that's my shout out to Backwoods Grind Coffee. Let's go ahead and get into today's show. Today with us, we have Josh Profit with two T's, which I goofed. <laughs> Josh, how you doing, man? Man, I'm good, man. God is good. The weather's nice. I'm on the phone with you. 
uh, things couldn't be going better right now. Oh yeah, man. And and if I'm not mistaken, you are what Exodus Trail Cam refers to as a black hat. Is that is that uh, am I saying it right? Black hat. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's uh, more or less their lineup of ambassadors or pro staff, but they don't give it that title. But yeah, that's um, I kind of jumped into that not too long ago, and uh, those guys, uh, Chad and Jake, have been a blessing in my life. So that's the one thing that I am definitely yeah, proud to be a part of. Black hat. They're good guys, dude. I I had Chad on the show. Um, it feels like a while ago. I think it was right as I moved into uh, the house. So it must have been February, March or sometime like that. And uh, I, there no BS warranty is what got my attention. You know, I'd be as we get into the topic, I'll love to hear how you deploy all of those trail cams on public land. That's a big uh, <laughs> challenge in my mind that I have a hard time overcoming for some reason. But why don't we just have you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from. Do you hunt public, private? What do you like to hunt with? What do you like to hunt? All that stuff. All right, my name's Josh Prophet. Um, pretty much born and raised here in Western Kentucky. I'm 34 years old. Um, coal mining profession, unfortunately. Um, I've been hunting roughly 26, 27 years and bow hunting um, probably 16 years or so. Uh, strictly of that, I've strictly been hunting public land. I think this is my it's my 13th or 14th season on public land solely. So I'm definitely a public land junkie. I'm a public land hunter. I'm 100% all about the public land. As are we. In fact, we call this uh, the podcast for public land hunting enthusiasts. So it sounds like we got the right guest for today, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep, I'm your guy today. So with that many years of experience, I guess we got plenty of ground to cover. Um what kind of bow? What kind of bow are you shooting? Are you doing traditional archery, compound, crossbow? Man, I am actually a uh, traditional archer. This will be my third season. Um, I shoot a hybrid longbow made by Big Stick Archery. Um, this season's bow is uh, sixty-one pounds at twenty-eight inches, shooting roughly a six hundred grain arrow, um, and I'm very excited about it. Um, I shoot the bow very well. The bow is fast for a traditional bow. It cuts in there right around 190 feet per second, which is booking it pretty good for one of them, especially a 600-grain arrow. So that's uh, that's kind of the leap I've made over the last few years uh, is going from compound to tradition to traditional. I, um, I haven't gun hunted since I was 16. I'm oh 34, so. so. Totally jettisoned gun hunting and went all in on bow. And not only that, you wanted to up the ante on the challenge and you got yourself a longbow. Yes, sir. That's that's the direction I'm heading. I sold my compound three years ago and um, I've never looked back. And I, I mean, I'm going to be a traditional archer for life. <laughs> Holy crap, man. So no more compound at all, hey? Just full, straight up traditional? Yep. Yeah, I mean, there's just, there's no point in it. You know, I've, all of my shots have been close. Um, I, my confidence is high with a traditional bow. And um, I know, you know, knock on wood, there's mistakes to be had. And there's deer that, you know, I'm going to mess up on. But so far, I'm I'm three for three with, with traditional equipment. Holy cow. So you get them in real close then. Yeah, I mean, um, 
Yeah, all all the deer I've killed with a traditional bow have been 15 yards or closer. So I guess let's unpack that and start there on this trail of a show today. Um, you know, you and I were chatting offline for a little bit, and to me, in, in my own subjective opinion of myself, I feel like I'm on the on-ramp to getting closer to um, having success or connecting with what I would classify a mature buck. Um, you know, you've been, you've been at it for, you know, let's just call it 15 years. How did you kind of start taking things more seriously to have that kind of success hunting mature whitetails? You know, what did that journey look like for you? Well, um, I switched from public to private. Um, and my first year, um, I think it was my first set, actually, it was Thanksgiving day you know, roughly 13 to 15 years ago, and I seen one of the biggest deers I've ever seen in my life, roughly boner, 170-inch deer. Um, and I knew right then, like, man, I've been, like, really messing up. And then it was it's my second or third hunt, and we're rolling into December. I seen probably a roughly 140-inch deer late season. And I had to keep in mind, you know, I'd only hunted two or three times on public land, so I it really, really opened my eyes and it was totally backwards from what everybody was telling me. You know, everybody's telling me like, Oh, you're going to hate it. Uh, it's over hunted. The deer aren't there. This is things that everybody was telling me. And then when I would go out there, it was the complete opposite of what I was being told. So, and ever since then, I've just been so hooked on it. So people just trying to keep you out of their honey hole. They knew you'd, you, they know you'd strike gold. <laughs> Like, hey man, no, no, you don't want to <laughs> public property. It's not for you. Trust well, me. back back then, <laughs> it it wasn't very cool. It's kind of the trend now. Public land is kind of the trend, and you know, back then, it just it was different than it is now. People still hunted public land, but I mean, everybody wanted to be on private land, and that has kind of come full circle. And I just feel like the public land is more of the trend now, whether it's right or wrong. I just feel like it's the cool thing to do now. It's funny you say that. Cause I've never known anything too different. I started hunting in uh, what's called the Nicolet national forest here in Wisconsin. And in some of the coldest winters, there's no deer up there. And the stories always were from my dad and his buddies, you know, there used to be so many deer up here. You'd see 20 deer a day and you'd have to pick your shot. And I was like, I'd be happy to see one deer. <laughs> the hell are you guys talking about you know um right but i love the forest i love the the openness the vastness of it the fact that like there's a real thrill and danger to actually hunting where there's wolves and bear and cougar and vast vast tracts of land that you could get seriously lost in you know um that was the mm -hmm. that was the draw for me and then eventually when i started seeing deer i was like oh shit this is this is exciting stuff um so that's interesting to hear kind of where you got your start. Now, how do you, how did you start to close the deal on some of these bigger, more mature whitetails? Like what were you doing differently where other people were having these woes and warnings and, and, you know, downputting public land, which I hate by the way, but that's just me. <laughs> um, I get, I get on a soapbox. I'll, I'll, I'll digress on that part, but you know, how did you prove them wrong? man a great big learning curve because you you can't hardly go in hunting public land with the 
private land methods and that's how I started out and it, you know it just it wasn't working out um, very good for me and so it just took years of learning the topography and the land and how the deer acted versus what I was used to and, and you know when I very first started hunting and you know I, I felt like I was doing good you know, I would just go into a spot and it looked good and I felt good and I would set up and I would, you know, sometimes I would still see, see big deer, or a lot of deer, but I just couldn't seal the deal. And when I really figured out like how to tweak my stands, like, okay, like where exactly are, is this deer going to come to like, and why are they doing it? Like the, the, I call it the three W's, the when, where, and why that's what it took for me to start killing the deer that I was happy with. And, um, from there, man, it just started spiraling. I finally killed my first one. Then it was a couple of years later, I killed my second one and then my third one. And then the last, I think I've killed the last four years straight. So you're a freaking killer. Um, that's awesome. yeah, I've got, um, I got 10, I have 10, 10 deer on the wall from public land and I've been doing it, you know. 14 13 14 15 years so so and there's a time dedication factor to that too right like you're you're sacrificing time at home right and time with friends maybe or going out and things like that especially in those younger years where the more time you have the more you're going to learn quicker right like if you can be out every day for a season and someone else is only going out once or twice you're effectively learning you know 10 times the amount of information just by being out there Man, that's what it takes. You know, people say like the right place or the right time or it takes age genetic, genetics and nutrition to have a big deer and to kill a big deer. But I'm going to tell you what, you can have everything in the world, but if you don't have the time to do it, then you're not going to get it done. So if you're limited on your time, you need to set your goals based on your time. You don't need to set your goals based on what somebody else thinks or says about you. Um, you know, right, right now at Tops, I go four days a month. That's my scouting. That's my hunting. That's everything. That's that's all I got. And you're able to seal the deal in there. So let me back up to what you said before, because you said, you know, what really changed for me was when you started thinking about the the what, why, and when, right? Unless you said when was wind, but that could be part of it. But I, I think you said what, why, when. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, where, and why. When, yeah. So. Yep. I, I've yep. often had that thought, but I don't know what to do with that information. So if I'm trying to reverse engineer, okay, I've seen this buck, right? And and so now maybe I'd lost my shot at or maybe it was too far to even consider taking a shot at. But if I were to literally zoom out on that map, if I go back home and go to Google Earth and look at it and say, okay, why was that buck there at this time? Where was he going? What was he doing? Why was he there? How do you How did you start to tackle that? Because I've had those thoughts. But clearly, there's something lacking in my approach to understanding that information. I've been, man, I've been running trail cameras since you put film in them, since they took D batteries, since they were as big as your backpack. And one thing I learned early on is that private versus public, the, the deer would still use the, the fields but it was mainly at night and I have been fortunate. I've not hunted a bunch of big wood settings that didn't have ag. And I, that does throw a wrench in how I hunt. I have a harder time doing that. Now all of my places I hunt are big woods, but there's always some type of agriculture or, or state funded food plots or 
And so I just start there because a deer is a slave to their stomach. And you're always going to find deer sign around food. Now, they may only use it at night, but that's a, that's a starting point. And once you find the preferred food sources, you just start there and you start working backwards towards their bedding. And um, that has led me to more success than anything. You know, if, if I was to hunt a new area, I'm going to find the food first. And that's where I'm going to go, and I'm going to give it a gander. And nor typically on public land, that's that's going to be where your most pressure is because, you know, fields, they uh, track two things, deer and hunters. But, you know, if you can read the sign right and you can get in there and you can cut those tracks back or those rub lines or those scrape lines or you can look on points of elevation for possible bedding, then you can start to connect the dots and especially with trail cameras. So that's ultimately what's led to most of my success. That's good to hear. So are there any broad assumptions that can be made? So I like that you said food is like, cause right away everyone's going to be thinking food. Yep. Some people are going to say no shit because they're seasoned. Some people say, Oh great. Good to know. But then you backed it. You followed up by saying like, look, now that's going to be really pressured. So back that up a step further and think about the bedding area, you know, what assumptions. So I've paid attention to the hunting beasts over the last couple of years and talked to those guys a whole bunch um, and try to learn about buck bedding. Right. And, and now I do a different podcast too, the Huntland podcast with Jeff Yankee. And he understands that stuff at a really deep level. I'm still learning it and getting into that, trying to identify a buck bed. So if I were to reverse engineer and back up and zoom out from a, a, a food plot, um, a specific one, if I know where that's going to be producing and they're going to be eating, um, if I'm not running trail cams, how are you trying to identify where that bedding, bedding area can be? Are you doing like a process of elimination? Yeah. I mean, you physically have to find it. You know, you go, if you're not running trail cameras, you go to the fields and you know, you, uh, you look for tracks, man. Uh, you know, a, a big buck can hide a lot of things and he can walk in the dark most of his life, but he can when he walks, he cannot hide that foot track, that hoof print. Yeah, we call and that then if he's in the area enough, then he's, he, you know, he's going to leave, he's going to leave sign. He's going to leave, you know, signposting. He's going to rub, he's going to scrape. And then, you know, you always, or I always start there. And, um, you know, if I'm standing in the field, I'll be looking at Onyx and the, the contour lines. And I'm thinking, okay, I already know where this deer is is feeding for sure or more than one so now we're going to walk this field we're going to look for tracks we're going to look for incoming trails and then once you find what you're looking for you're going to dive in and you literally you're going to have to take it back and and push the envelope but that's how i do it i have bump bump bucks um i don't always do that but i have but you know if you're cutting back off a trail and you're on your track then um and you and you you know that you're getting close to some elevation where you, that you possibly know that bucks could be bedding like, you know, hey, that maybe this is spot A. This will be the first time I try. And then if if that doesn't work on the right wind, then you move on to Plan B. I like that. So, you mentioned you've been carrying trail cams since they were you know ginormous with double D batteries and and all that. Um, which I think I remember the first trail cam my dad and I ever put in and it was like the most exciting thing ever. Like, well, I can't believe this thing can actually stand outside in the weather. You know, it was like this 
mind-bending mm-hmm. thought that you leave a camera in the woods and they've come such a long way since then you know you run an exodus and you know if i read their black hat page you know it, i don't know when this was published but at the time it said you're running about 40 cameras how do you deal with that on public property you know how are you placing those and like are you experiencing a lot of theft or weird things like that are you finding good ways around that and maybe just spend some time talking about that a little bit that's a big challenge that i that i'm trying to overcome myself it um it takes a long time to put them out i normally start in june and i normally don't have them all out until july I'm a firm believer in if you've got five cameras with you and you get three of them out as long as they are in primo spots and you feel good about it and you got to come back to the house with two of them, you've done good. I didn't used to always think that way. Um, and because I hunt a lot of the same tracks of land, I go a lot off historical data, so a lot of my cameras go on the same trees every year. If not the same trees, they typically go in the same general area, so that I definitely have going for me. But as far as the theft, it comes and goes. Out of 40 cameras, roughly, I lose one or two a year, which isn't bad. Yeah, that's not a terrible Um, ratio. No, it's not. I've learned ways to to hide them. And I guess I've only had one bad experience, and I don't know if if one year we kind of dropped in on somebody's really core hunting area but they weren't stealing mine and my buddy's cameras they were actually just destroying them or smashing them like they would find them they would have a hammer or something with them they would literally beat the door off take the sd card drop the batteries and destroy the camera and walk away so like trying to send some sort of message or something like message that. yeah, yeah okay. because we lost Guys. like 14 or 15 Jeez. in one year Jeez. Yeah. Disheartening. Yep. So that was. Holy shit. It was very catastrophic for us. But man, most of the time I have, I have good experiences. Um, now I, I mean I really do. And out of forty cameras, I'm gonna say seventy five percent of those cameras doesn't take a picture of anybody all year. And so. how close are the bucks in range to those cameras? Are they? I mean, how many are you getting? Are you getting a buck on most cameras or the same buck on many? How are you analyzing that data? I guess I'll ask that. Like, are you using some sort of tool like the Hunter site or there's others out there that can kind of catalog um, that activity? Are you, I forget the one, uh, Deer Lab. Deer Lab. Yep. I, I ran Deer Lab the last two years and I've actually let my subscription run out this year. It's a great tool, extremely uh, effective, but major time consuming when you're limited and uh you don't have much time um it's probably one of the better things i've used but uh this season i will not have it but if i got five thousand acres to hunt i'm i'm going to strictly use my cameras for inventory purposes i think too many people rely too much on their cameras and they think woodsmanship is something that is kind of lost today um so I really just rely on my cameras for inventory. All I got to know is what deer are in the area, and then I do the rest of the work with my feet and my hands and my eyes. You're not you're but, not um, pattern and, and predict, like, they're going to be at this camera, you know, this time of the day. No, no. The, which is great. No, again, no, I'm it not. It is extra work on work. Like, if you're going out in the, work, in the field to do the work of putting out the cameras and collecting the information, then to catalog it, that's a whole nother layer of work that you got to do, which equates to time, right? And, 
we're all short on that. That's yeah, fantastic and, and it does it does pay off, but there's ways around it. So I just start out with how many cameras I have, how big of an area am I, am I hunting, and I will grid the area out. And I will try to have evenly spaced cameras across the whole property I hunt. Like right now, I'm hunting over 6,000 acres, and I got cameras uh, literally from the furthest one north to the furthest one south. It's over five miles. So I just evenly... It's not like one straight line. Yeah, I walked over 200 miles last year. Holy shit. So... Yeah, it. Um, I just try to space them out. I, I try to find areas. Okay, okay. This camera's going on this point. This one's going on these. This food. And I try not to put them too close together because I'm strictly using them for inventory. And man, it has worked out really good for me. You know, rarely do I walk into an area where I want to put a camera and I can't find any deer sign. Um, most of the time, I find at least a good trail I can put one on, or a scrape, or you know, what have you. And man, my cameras, they, they literally, they bake all season. Um, I'd say the most I check a camera in one season is three times. Some of them only get checked twice. Some of them only get checked once. So a lot of it is historical data that I go off of. It's a, it's a slow grind, but it's a lot of work. Now, are you taking advantage of Exodus's newer hardware that they have out with, like, the Wi-Fi retrieval? Um, do you have, like, a cellular data plan along with it where it just comes right to your phone? Are you every one of they, those? They have, they, they have the render coming out, and, and I will be running a few of them. Um, but just to be honest, man, I'm just, I'm just not a big cell phone person, a cell camera guy. That's just me personally. Um, I respect You that. know, when, when you get a picture when you get a picture of a deer, it's already happened. It's already in the past. And it's just, um, I, I will run a few and they're great tools, but for Josh profit and, and how I operate, they're just, they're not for me. I, I just like the regular digital camera that I can leave on the, on the woods with a lithium batteries and a big SD card. And when I check it twice a season, I get a bunch of information. That's crazy, dude. So it's funny because <laughs> for me, what, what I think is funny is, so I had eight groomsmen for my wedding a couple of years back. And these are guys that I know and love dearly, right? And mm-hmm. if I were to do it right now, I still would miss one or two of the guys when I go to count them. It's just how it is. It's a really weird thing. And so to have that many cameras out, are you using Onyx or something like that to plot them so you know where they're at? Because, dude inevitably for me i would forget like that i would have one out there i would just be like oh yeah i must be missing one but which one you know i would i would get i would start to that would start to break down like there's got to be some way for you to be capturing that unless you've got that much of a steel trap which if you do awesome man that's crazy i'm just i'm curious because i know that i would struggle with that it um i mean we could we could spend three podcasts on on trail camera <laughs> strategies or i could but but uh, basically, when I when I when I make it to the camera, when I put it out, I, li- I literally you know drop drop it on Onyx on Waypoint, and I drop what camera it is, and each of my camera has a number. So if I'm here, say lift two, and this is Cam Twenty One, I will mark it. So then I'm good. And then when I come home, I have a full size Magna map from Hunteria and uh, Man Cave. 
and I look back on my phone and I and I I put the cameras out on the map. So I got two points of references. The Hunter, um, those are the those are the physical as, maps that you get printed off, right? The big ones. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I don't know how big mine is. It was overpriced, but I do love it. I've always wanted to get um, one of those for my for my dad. If he listens to this, so be it, which I'm sure he will. But I've always wanted to get one for where he's got some of the bigger deer that he's gotten and as just like a keepsake and frame it and mark the spots where he was sitting that day and stuff and where he tracked it to. I thought that'd be kind of a neat gift. It's cool, man, because I've got all the fields and, you know, the names that we call the fields, and it's got all the uh, five breaks and walking trails, and it's got all my stands and my buck beds, and, you know, I can literally just go in there, and my wife, I'll be in there sometimes, and she's like, what are you doing? Just looking at my and I'm just, my brain, it, yeah, my brain is just in there turning, like, oh, man, I know this deer's here, here, and here, so... I'm going to catch him here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I, I like that strategy. It's nice to get eyes off of a computer screen or a cell phone, or however, you know, everyone's doing it. But I know, like, digital scouting is such a big thing these days, and it has been for some time. It's not new. But we, you know, kind of like you said, you know, you like to just kind of sometimes do the work and that, you know, I don't need to be plotting out and that you're going to let your um, gear lab kind of thing lapse. I, I related what you had said to, you know, there used to be a point in time when you get directions from someone and you'd be like, if you pass this landmark, you've gone too far. Right. And it would always be like turn mm-hmm. right at the blue house and take a left at the, you know, stump. And then, you know, go what to you feel like it's been a mile, but it's a second left. And now we have GPS, you know, that we rely on so heavily that dude, I haven't looked at a map like that in forever. I used to memorize maps to where I was going and visualize the area and really like mark it all out. I'd watch the odometer, you know, I do all these extra steps, and that's just kind of gone from our society now. And so it's really cool to hear you got a you got a physical map to look at because I feel like that's gone from our society now, by and large. It's really cool to hear that, man. Yeah, yeah, digital is kind of the way to go, but nothing is a substitute for getting the boots on the ground. That's something I said in every podcast. Like, if you want to learn more than 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 anybody else, or you want to stand out, or you want to give yourself the edge, like. And you're going to have to get out there and you're going to have to scout. And that's the bottom line. I like that. So Lance Brown's watching on the on the live stream here. He just posted a question. Um, I'll read it back to you. He says, how often do you like to check your cameras? What's your reasoning why you do it that way? Um, they rarely get checked. And... Um, a lot of that has to do with my time. And now, you know, like I said, I normally go every other week. And then so typically um, I'll go in an area where I can check, you know, two or three or four or five cameras and hunt. That's how I do it. But a lot of times I'll get stuck in like a buck motel, if you will, like an area that I've just, I know that my percentages are higher than the others. So those cameras get checked more versus other cameras and it's only because i'm seeing the deer in person i'm seeing the sign in person and i'm getting the picture so um they don't get checked often man like like i said the most most tops three times a year for every camera that's awesome two so the one that's popping off the most or where you see the most activity hopefully it's not the farthest one away (laughs) 
it's um it's it's happened um but last year you know the my my three three best cameras were they were short walks 20 25 minutes from the vehicle so it um it turned out good and they were always real close to where i would hunt so i could literally snag a card hang and bang and while i was up in the tree you know set on down i could check the camera Good to go, man. Hang and bang. I like that terminology. I was just at the working class bow hunter shoot over the weekend. It was a really, really fun time. I was really happy to meet people face to face. Just like right, right, right. Doing this, and then suddenly you actually get to meet them. Um, I've been doing hang and bang forever, man. Before it was called that, and my contention with it or whatever, and I, I got nothing against it. But the one thing I'll say is, when I set up my freaking hang on stand, I'm usually set up in that spot and. It used to be the case that back then before I had climbing sticks and I was doing like, you know, one step with like a, a slip knot kind of around the tree or whatever. It was so much damn work to get up the tree with a safety harness, get into the tree stand, you know, one step at a time, get yourself, you know, all ready to go. And then you're up there to me, like now you're there, now you're hunting that spot. And there wasn't a whole lot for me to, to want to get down and move unless it was the next hunt where I saw an observation, I adjusted. I just had a, a debate with some of those guys a couple episodes ago about like how often are people tearing down and setting back up inside of the same hunt. Are you, when you say you're shooting at 15 yards, are you doing that from a stand? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a saddle hunter. I'm not a ground hunter. I like to be in, I like to be in my lone wolf. I like to be in the tree for sure. Same here, man. I've, I've learned the hard way over the years. I'm a bit of a Polak, and I do things like my my mom's maiden name is you know, ending in a ski, and you know, some people listening to this wouldn't know that Eric Clark is super <laughs> But I definitely do right, right. the hard way and the wrong way, and I got to learn lessons hard. But I would, I would, there'd be times where I'd be like, okay, this is a good tree, and then I wouldn't consider like looking up it to set up the stand face in the right direction for you know being right-handed or the lean of the tree where I'd be like hunched over all goofy. I, those are the stupid things I've learned over the years. Like, okay, dumbass, let's spend the time to look at the tree and make sure I'm going to be set up the way that I need to be based on how I shoot and how this thing's leaning and stuff. It's kind of, funny. yeah, that happens a lot in the dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it really does. So I think good scouting helps, you know, you pick out your shit early enough on where you, you can know, but public land hunting, man, there's no guarantees. You know, uh, through and through, there could really be someone like right next to you, you know, and that's been a, that's a challenge. I think the way I describe it, and there's no real stats to back this up. It's just how I speak about it. But I always say that 90% of scouting is getting away from the other people and the other hunters. And then you get to finally focus on, you know, where the deer, right? You're doing those things simultaneously, but just because they're signed now, you got to think, okay, well now am I, in, am I in a spot that's going to be remote enough from where all the other guys are going? And you said your cams aren't picking up any people. You know, how are you avoiding other hunters? Man, um, a lot of times, I think a lot of times we're closer to them than what we think. And one thing that I can touch on, like over the years, I've really keyed in on places that have a lot of year-round human activity as far as hiking, horseback riding, fishing, um, you know, if you hunt those types of public lands, the, the deer are a lot more used to people. They're a lot more used to the scent. And from my experience, they deal a lot better with human pressure. Um, and over my last, you know, decade of public land, uh, 
95% of my hunts have gone on things like that. Um, where there's horseback riding, there's hiking, there's people coming out, you know, boy scouts come out to do things. There's biologists running surveys and just, you get away with a lot more. Yeah. So that's been a fun thing for me too. Actually, that's been one of the things I've added to my arsenal is state parks and two of the parks I hunt primarily have consisted of horseback riding trails, boy scout things, and just general walking trails with people walking their dogs and running and, and even some people going off the trail. I've had a hiker bump me, you know, far, far off the trail. I'm like, whoa, what the hell are you doing over here, buddy? I'm like, <laughs> get back to the trail, man. Yeah. Um, it's something like I, uh... I'm like, damn it. But, you know, it was a beautiful day. It's public land. That's what happens. Like, good for him for, for having fun and exploring. You know, it was what it was. It's, it's all about your outlook, man. And what I've learned is... Like, if somebody walks in on you or you see several trucks in the parking lot, like, I'm going to say 75% of the listeners are thinking, like, oh, man, it's over. But, man, that's just not where my my experience, that's not the case. Um, you know, you just, you got to hang it out, especially if you're hunting during the rut. Like, you really got to think about what is going on. Like, a deer isn't out there, you know in survival mode during the rut, which is when a majority of your hunting pressure hits. So if somebody walks in on you or you walk in on somebody or somebody, you know, is fairly close to you, um, you just, you got to roll the dice and you got to roll with it. Um, last year, one of my good friends literally had somebody rattling. He could hear them rattling. He could not see them. But he's seen our top our top hit list, 170 inch deer. He's seen him within 20 yards, and so it's just like everything that everybody tells you. For me personally, like it, a lot of it hasn't stuck with me. Like I've I've tried to like listen to it and like, oh crap, my hunt's ruined. But over the years, I've learned. And no, it's not. I got walked in on one time last year, and the guy, I hate to say this because it's sad, he got within 60 yards of me and was putting his stand on a tree before I seen him. Darn. Yep, yep. And then it was kind of a big ruckus for me to, you know, let him know I'm there. <laughs> yeah. And once he finally seen me, he he didn't go far. I mean, he went out of sight. He probably went a couple hundred yards away, and he was very quiet. Like, I never heard him make a sound the whole time. Um, and he come in, and his wind was good. Like, I could tell the guy knew what he was doing. But, man, I still seen a pile of deer right that evening. Uh, it was the day or so after that, and that same general area is when I say same general area, the same 25 acres, I seen two shooters. So that's, that's funny you say that. You can't, you can Oh, go ahead, man. I was just going to say, you can take that with a grain of salt or you can run with it. Well, there's two things I'll say there. One being that I find it fascinating that, you know, so I do still gun hunt. I love the camaraderie. I love getting together with my buddies that I see, you know, only a couple times a year. Um, that being one of those times or even the only time in some cases. And, uh, you know, there's eight of us and we hunt the same property and, um, the vast difference between what some of us will say about our, our, our time in the woods that day is night and day. You know, 
we're all within a reasonable distance from each other. And we use my app, the Word Hunt app, to actually, you know, see each other's movement and things like that. Keep tabs on each other. And, you know, there's years when I've seen, like, I've been like, dude, I've seen six deer, you know, two bucks, four doe, whatever. And they're like, what? I didn't see anything. I saw a coyote. Well, maybe that's why I didn't see any deer. But either way, like, it, we're not that far. You could be just one ridge over, and it makes all of the difference. You know, so like you said, getting that time in the woods and those boots on the ground and really kind of studying where those tracks are going and, and backtracking and reverse engineering that behavior. Um, last year, I, I did a, a bow hunt and I pulled up and I had there were eight vehicles on a um, conservancy property. So it was public access to private property and it was only limited to a few select people. And it was one of those things where I could have just been fuck it, you know, I'll just turn around and forget, forget this. It's, it was stupid to even go. There's nowhere to even park, blah, blah, blah. I found a spot to park. I, I made a spot. And then I saw more bucks on that sit than any other sit of my hunting career, all shooters. It was one of the most exciting hunts ever. And it was also exciting because I knew that there were at least eight other guys, potentially 16 if they all brought a buddy. Um, so somewhere between eight and 16 other hunters, and I was the last car to leave, and I know that I saw three shooter bucks, and I didn't see a single hunter. You know, it's perspective, man. Like you can change, you can't change the direction of the wind, but you can adjust your sails. So how you approach something, I believe, is how it's going to impact your outcome greatly. Completely, I completely agree. I completely agree. I think you and I connect on that level for sure, because I'm an I'm an eternal optimist. I believe optimism is a force multiplier, <laughs> man. Like. If you approach something with optimism, your chances for success just in that alone gets you to a different place than if you were to be a pessimist about it and be like, you know, right, like I could have turned around, like I said, but you know, it is what it is. You gotta you gotta roll with the punches and public land is public land, man. It ain't yours. You know, it's everybody's and it's a Exactly. Place. Exactly. And you just need to you need to set goals and they need to be realistic goals. And you need to have fun that's something that i didn't used to do when it would cut down to the wire i hadn't killed a deer or if i made a mistake like i would get so like you need to have fun and you need to remember why you're doing it like remember if you you really are if you are solely out there to kill a big deer i hate to say this but in my opinion like you're missing a lot of the point it's like being fixated on the destination and not appreciating the journey. You know, you could, oh, we need to make good time. We got to get there. No pit stops, blah, 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 blah. Well, you might want to stop and look at the Grand Canyon. You know, it might blow your socks off, right? Enjoy the ride. Enjoy. The oh, ride. yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm more about the adventure now than I've ever been. I'm more about having fun. I'm more about learning. I'm telling you right now, I'm more successful than I've ever been. And I, I, I really think it's because I'm not so hard on myself. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, do you sound like a pretty easygoing easy guy? And I don't know if you're always that way, but, you know, maybe that's because maybe you're always that way and you've always had it there. But it sounds like you're the kind of guy that's learned some things along the way. And it's, uh, you know, I'm happy to have you on the show for that reason. And I'm always happy to learn from what other people have kind of come to realize. I can take some shortcuts in life that way, you know, now that I'm willing to listen. Right, to I mean, <laughs> You just have to stay humble, man. I mean, um, by God's grace, I've killed a few deer and I've learned a lot. And, uh, you know, I've had a, a very fun time doing it. I, I, 
I don't love killing the deer. I love the process. That's what I'm all about. And you gotta love the process more than the more than the end result. I think that's what does it. And I think this is one of the few things in life where I and there's probably two, and this is one of them where I love the process. Like I've not stopped thinking about whitetail. Okay, maybe for like a half a second after gun season, I was like, okay. I'm done chasing these stupid animals for a minute <laughs> and I can take a break, but it didn't take long to check back in, you know, and, and doing a podcast about hunting certainly helps, you know, make sure that I'm never not thinking about it. But, you know, every time I'm in a car and I see an open field, I'm like at the edge of my seat, you know, glance at the field, getting yelled at by my wife and I'm drifting off the road. So whatever that means for, for how much I love hunting, but I hear you, man. I mean, I'm right there with you, and I mean, we're kind of touching on that, man. If you need to re, if you're if you're grinding hard and you're on your vacation and it's the rut, or you're trying to kill a specific deer, like if you need to recharge your batteries, if you need to sleep in one morning or get down and go home, like my experience, it always works out better for you because when you get tired, you you get sloppy, and when you get sloppy, you it normally doesn't lead to success unless you got that Vegas style luck riding on your shoulder. So don't I mean don't be afraid to you know there was a day last year you know I had like eleven days straight to hunt, and it was middle ways of the day or middle ways of my trip. Like I literally drove about fifteen miles from my house. And I'm like I I can't do it. Like I got to go back. I got to go back to bed. And I went back to bed, and it, it all it, it worked out better for me. I got a clear mindset. I ran around, got a new game plan, and it, it turned out to be successful. Good to hear, dude. It's um, it's not. It's, I don't know where all these analogies are coming from with me. All of a sudden, maybe it's a scotch, but you know, I hear stories of people that say, like, <laughs> "I met my wife when I stopped looking to, you know, meet my wife." Right? And it's that level yeah. of like, and that's true, man. <laughs> I'm not saying like I'm gonna I'm gonna get a buck when I stop looking for bucks, but you know, caring about it differently and having that balance to take care of yourself and knowing like, I don't know, make make good time of your make good use of your time when you are in the woods to the best of your ability. Yeah, because as I get older, I'm 34 now, and uh, I've been divorced in the past, and I have four kids, and like you, you really start to realize how selfish of a sport deer hunting is and like as much as i love to go there's times where i feel guilty and so you really got to lay all the aspects down on the line and you really got to prioritize and when you get those things right i mean for me i mean between god and my family um there was a time when I did not put those first and you know, it, it really didn't, it didn't work out good for me. And it just seems like the more my faith grows and the closer me and my wife get and the less time I get to spend in the woods, the more enjoy enjoyable my time is that I do get and the more successful that I have been. And it's just, I can't tell you like how blessed I am and how thankful I am for just the time and the public lands and the fish and wildlife, like, I mean, it is my true passion. <laughs> it shows, man. If you get 10, 10 deer that are worthy of your wall, you know, over that course of time on public land and, and you've gotten, you know, deer the last three years in a row with the longbow, it, it has to be your passion. Like, otherwise it, it probably wouldn't have worked. <laughs> out. 
It's just something. Ah, you yeah, know, like Brad Paul. From time to time, I, I really don't like it, but I do it anyways. Like I doubt you'd have had the success that you've had. Yeah, it's um, it's been a bell curve, and it's been a big bell curve, but it's um, it's fun, and I really enjoy it. Well, on that note, man, let's pivot, and why don't you share with me and the audience, both watching now and that'll listen in later on the podcast form. What's your most memorable hunt in your in your mind's eye? It's weird because I was thinking about that today. And, you know, there's just so many memories, and there's the deer on the wall, and there's my kids and my childhood. So for, like, one to really stick out when there are so many, it's I mean, it really does have to be, like, really memorable. And I was thinking today, I remember... My granddad got me into hunting at a very young age, and um, I was no older than ten, and I know I wasn't. And and at that time, you know, I could only I could only gun hunt, and so when gun season went rolled around, I mean, I would just I I could not sleep because I was so ate up with it. And I remember I was staying with my grandparents one day, and I woke up, and uh, you know it was before time to hunt my granddad was up and he was like you know son it's it's raining outside you know what do you want to do and I, I can specifically remembering hearing the the rain hit on the tin roof loudly and hearing the thunder and and seeing the lightning and i i looked at him and, and said i want to go and he didn't hesitate one bit he said okay and um, I remember driving. We was hunting some old coal mine property, and I remember driving back there. Like he had a, he had a really hard time getting us back there because of of all the the rain and the mud. I just remember, I remember looking over at him, like white knuckled the the steering wheel, like giving his little four wheel drive truck all it would do just to take me deer hunting. And we we hunted a wooden stand that we had made. And, um, I remember staying tucked up underneath his car heart in the rain. And, and it was like, as soon as the rain, the rain broke, like the deer just piled in. And I remember he was like, you know, it was a, it was a two and a half year old deer. He was like, um, you know, there, there it is, you know, you, you want to shoot that deer. And, you know, to me at that time, a, a buck, any buck was a trophy and it was probably 110, 120 inch deer. And then, I just remember it seemed so big to me and I, I remember I shot at that thing two different times with a 30 30 with open sights and I never hit it and I, I remember telling my papa I was like papa I just want you to kill it before it runs off and I, I remember he shot and the deer dropped and neither neither one of us could have been any more happy about anything and that's probably the most rememberable hunt I've ever had. It was with my granddad hunting hunting in the rain. I didn't kill a deer. He did. And it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> that's a really cool story, man. Seriously, that, did, did you, what'd you guys do with it when you got it? Did you cook up the back straps or anything like that? Oh yeah, I didn't, um, I didn't grow up with a lot of money and, so everything we killed, we ate from the deer that we killed to the chickens to the rabbits. And, um, 
if I close my eyes hard enough and listen, I can still hear the pressure cook, cooker going at my grandma's house. <laughs> so, the deer, I got pictures of the deer somewhere, and the deer was definitely ate. It probably didn't last very long at all. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't have, man. I tell you, like, hearing your story reminds me of mine. You know, I don't think anyone's asked me my most memorable hunt, to be quite honest, but if I had to think about it, one that would be one of the the top ranking ones is something similar, you know, driving in old, old logging roads up in the North woods of Wisconsin and my dad's old Dodge Ram charger, you know, this, I think it was like a 380 V8 or something ridiculous with a four barrel carb, just a gas guzzling <laughs> fucking beast of a, of a truck, you know, and just giving her hell through these logging roads, jumping over all sorts of crazy shit. And then, you know, you get back there and, it's the most desolate area that you've ever been. There's no deer back there, except somehow my dad got one. And I was just excited. He got one. I was like, let me see. Like, where was it? How did it get there? Like, where, where'd you shoot it from? Like, you know, to me, deer were so elusive that I was, I couldn't believe that he had a seen one and B got one. I was like, what do you mean you got one? Like, are you kidding me? I haven't seen a damn thing. And I didn't know anything about, you know, tactics or strategies or tips or I just knew like, Here's a tree. There maybe a deer will walk by, you know. And uh, we cooked up those back straps and the tailgate of that Dodge Ram Charger on an old logging road on a grill that we carry along with us, a little shitty tailgate grill, you know, and eating that right with some onions cut up and some mushrooms and butter and this little pan on over this tiny little grill. It was one of the best experiences and memories I have of hunting. Um, a real special time with my dad too, you know. That's those are the kinds of things that when you say remember why you got into this have fun and like enjoy the journey i didn't get a deer i didn't care i could care less about getting a deer i cared about enjoying those moments and when you look back on it it's impressionable it's indelible like that's the stuff that you remember yeah i agree and it's sad because today those things are lost i cut across social media and it's you got to use this product or you got to dress this way or you got to hunt here it's the, the memory and the woodsmanship is just so far gone. Hey man, it's still there. It's just buried. We gotta we gotta bring it back up to the surface. I think back then I was wearing a onesie camo flage, you know, old school camo, old school when it used to feel like it was embarrassing to wear because I didn't have money for the scent, you know, eliminator, whatever the hell it was, and uh, it was a hand me down with some holes in it, and it felt goofy to wear. But that's the stuff that people think is retro now, right? Like the tree camo camouflage and um well that's what it was man and there, i didn't take any pictures there was no like grip and grins or anything like that it was eat the freaking meat and there's no cell phones back then it was we'll call you when we get back to the the motel and uh, we'll let you know how the day went you know when we get back there's no gps none of that shit it was a map it was a compass it was no cameras i know i know i know i'm right there with you i can i can still remember my Walls advantage uh, coveralls I had, and they weren't very good. <laughs> but I can remember them faded out to the max that smelt like Tide. I can remember it plain as day. <laughs> oh, it's interesting. We're the same age, but, you know, I never thought I'd get to the day where I was talking about the past like a grandparent would. You know, back in my day, we didn't, you know, care about any of that. But that's how it was, you know, it's just different. It's just different. And I and I embrace a lot of the stuff these days. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like some caveman, but 
it's nice to remember those times before it because it was simpler and you thought about it differently. You had fun. Mm-hmm. You had fun. The fun was just built into it, you know. Now you got to try real hard. You got to try to leave your phone back, which makes you feel like you're missing something in the world. Or what if something happens? You know, well, back then we had walkie-talkies, and I would talk to my dad if something happened. We'd check on each other and we'd get to the tree stand. Hey, I'm in. You know, are you safe? Yep, I'm ready to go. Enjoy your hunt. Talk, talk at lunch. I uh, no man, I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I really am. One of my favorite stands is one where I have no service, and if the truth was be told, who knows how many thousands of deer have been saved because of cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> See, at least you're honest, man. Like, let's be real. You know, it's cost me some deer. It's, something, it's, right? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 I've messed up looking at my phone. Yeah, or maybe you don't know if you did. You know, honestly, that's probably the truth, but. Man, it was really, really fun talking with you. We covered some ground. We covered it in, in, I think, an eloquent way. We answered some questions from the comment sections. You know, no callers. That's okay. I don't, I don't mind. Like, it's nice to be able to focus on the conversation at hand. Um, you know, sometimes people call, sometimes they don't. I got nothing against it either way. It's just a, an opportunity for people to connect. And if they're busy and they can't, that's okay. Uh, yeah, man, I, I had a good time and I enjoyed it. And I highly appreciate you having me on. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, we'll end real quick. Like you, for the record, are one hell of a photographer. So if nothing else, if you <laughs> follow your Instagram, you're in for an eye candy treat of just really well captured pieces of of, of the outdoors. Um, you know, what, are you shooting a Canon or an I, an Icon? Sony, Sony mirrorless. Oh, okay, so I guess there's there's three choices. I only thought there were two. Is it a, a DSLR? Or yeah. A no, it's it's a mirrorless. It's a it's a APS-C sensor camera, twenty-four megapixel. It's uh, it's a really small mirrorless Sony camera, and it manages. It does. It's affordable, and it is. I mean, I love it. I yep. went from Canon to to a T five to this, and I just love it. <laughs> really? So I had the T four I back in the day, and I, I I enjoyed it. I also didn't really enjoy the you know month of youtube videos i had to watch to understand iso and depth of field and shutter speed and all that shit but i eventually learned enough to be dangerous to take it off of auto and and had some fun with it but you're saying this one's what a little bit easier and a little bit more easier on the wallet too uh, i mean the body alone is about thousands about what the body cost um i mean it was more expensive than my canon but um I enjoy it. You know, it's it's an investment that I'm going to try to make some money with, and I've done some great pictures of my family, and it's that's another thing that I'm passionate about is just using the camera. So, and I don't I don't know very much about it. I don't claim to know very much about it, but I am learning, and I'm having a lot of fun doing it. Yep, fun. There's that. There's that word again. That's the key. Yeah. Yes, sir. Well, dude, the photos do look great. So I'll just say, like. It'd be fun making the cover up for this for this episode, or easy at least, because uh, you'll make it really yeah. good quality photos. Yeah, you can uh, find me on Instagram at bg underscore bowhunter. My name is Josh Prophet, um, and I will be coming out with a hunting slash lifestyle photography business here, hopefully before fall. That is in the works, so that'll be something else for you guys to look for. Hell yeah, man. YBG, what does that stand for? 
Bluegrass. I'm bluegrass bow hunter. Kentucky bluegrass. All right, cool, man. See, that's memorable. Now, I, now I know. To my seat, that's what yeah. Cool. You got you hunt with a purpose, and uh, I mean, I'm here in the home state, bluegrass state, and that's uh, that's kind of how I started the uh, BG bow hunter. I dig it, man. Well, dude, thanks so much for being on the show, taking time away from your family, and and spending some time with me to hang out. We'll get this thing produced. It'll be live on uh, podcast land this evening still. So I'm going to go ahead and end the live feed now. Um, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in to you know, me drinking scotch and asking dumb questions. <laughs> but, uh, Josh, you've been a great <laughs> guest, man. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. All right, the tip of the week. The tip of the week this week is not tactical in nature. It's probably more spiritual and introspective in nature, and it's to kind of take a page out of Josh Prophet's playbook about remembering why you got into hunting. Why did you get into hunting, right? Like what was the driving catalyst for that? Who got you into hunting? If you can't remember why you got into hunting and it felt just like one of those natural things, that you just, I just kind of did it because, right, because my dad did it, my uncle, my grandpa, my whoever. Um, remember why you got into it and what that reasoning was and what it felt like when you first started, whether you were young or old. I know not everyone started as a kid and their dad got them into it. I know everyone's got their different journey and story. But take a second and think back to what that felt like and why you did it and bring that forward and carry it forward into this season so you can take a different approach and don't beat yourself up. Josh Prophet said it in the show, the moment he stopped beating himself up is when he started to realize he enjoyed the sport again and enjoyed having fun and continue to have success just the same, but without beating himself up. So I'm gonna take my advice this season and remember why I got into hunting and what it was like. And it really helped when I thought about my most memorable hunt, which is funny because I ask every guest what their most memorable hunt is. So I implore you to consider what your most memorable hunt was. And maybe that will help you think about why you got into hunting in the first place. And if you're having a frustrating season for any reason, maybe you had too many parked cars and trucks at your spot. Maybe another hunter bumped you. Maybe you bumped the buck you're after. Maybe you didn't see any deer. 
whatever that looks like, we all have our woes throughout the season, but please remember why you got into it. We got to carry this tradition forward and not bash it. Do not bash public hunting land and do not bash the time that you get in the woods and ruin it for yourself by beating yourself up. That's my tip of the week. Look, I hope everybody has a great day, a great week. Enjoy this episode. Share it with your friends. If you can find the time to give me a review and a rating, it means so much to me. I don't know if it's my ego and if, and if I just kind of uh, do well with seeing that kind of stuff, but it really means a lot. Whether it's bad or good, I like to see it so either I can improve or keep doing what I'm doing. It really helps me continue on. So thank you so much for your time and listening. Thanks for the, the ears on this show and tuning in on the live broadcast. Spread the word. This is your show. I welcome calls every single Tuesday. I appreciate all of you. Have a great day in Hunt Public.